from the ACLU. This is At Liberty. I'm Molly Kaplan, your host. It's that time of the year again, Supreme Court decision season. Today, we're bringing you a breakdown of the Supreme Court's decision in the case of Fulton v. City of Philadelphia, a case that touches on whether the city can enforce a non-discrimination policy with its contractors. Here, Catholic Social Services, a contractor with the city, refused to sign an agreement that would have forced them to stop excluding same-sex couples and unmarried people from being foster parents. In a unanimous decision, the Supreme Court held that Philadelphia's refusal to contract with Catholic Social Services did violate the Constitution's First Amendment. Joining me to break down the decision is James Essex, the director of the ACLU's LGBTQ and HIV Project. James, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. James, just to get started, can you tell us what Fulton v. City of Philadelphia is about in broad strokes and what the ACLU's involvement is? So uh, Fulton v. City of Philadelphia is the most recent in a string of cases where opponents of LGBTQ equality are seeking uh, to establish a constitutional license to discriminate for people of faith or organizations of faith um, in any context where they have a religious objection to the non-discrimination rule. And the particular context that Fulton arises in is in the context of the public child welfare system, the city of Philadelphia's foster care system. And the city of Philadelphia hired a private agency, Catholic Social Services, that is religiously affiliated to do some work for it in connection with the um, foster care system. And the Catholic Social Services, or CSS, refused to abide by the city's requirement that it not discriminate on a range of bases, including, in this case, sexual orientation. So, James, can you break down how the court ruled here? Yes. Uh, and the important thing from our perspective is the fact that the court ruled in a very narrow way. What it said was, look, the city of Philadelphia has in its contract with um, not only Catholic Social Services, but other private agencies that it hires to do some of the government's work with regard to the foster care system. It has in that contract um, a requirement that that, uh, the agencies not discriminate when they perform these services in essence on the government's behalf. But the key thing that the court focused on is that that non-discrimination rule requirement in the contract has a provision in it that says that the city can waive the non-discrimination requirement at its own discretion. And the court basically said, look, if like non-discrimination rules are important and governments have important uh, interests in, it, in enforcing those rules, but this doesn't seem like a, a non-discrimination rule that actually applies across the board because the city can waive it, that rule in any context that it wants to. And in that circumstance, the city has to have a, it is not treating everybody the same because there's an exemption that's available here in the, and uh, Catholic Social Services asked for an exemption, basically said, we want to be able to discriminate. We want to be able to violate your non-discrimination rule. And the city said, no, you can't. And, and the court says, well, hold on a second. You've set up a rule where you can allow discrimination in some contexts, but not in others, but you haven't explained who gets it and who doesn't get it. And in a world where that's the rule, um, the city has to have a very, very good reason for not granting the exemption to the religious folks, but then potentially granting it to other folks. So they said, look, if that's your rule, that violates the Constitution because it, it allows you to play favorites and to play favorites and not, you know, not treat 
uh, religious folks even-handedly. So that's the core of the problem here. We may have different views about the facts in the case, but that ruling is not a problem because that ruling is just about this specific contract in Philadelphia. And it's going to have little to no application to any other contract or any other foster care system anywhere in the country. So just so I understand, this was not a ruling that said that organizations or private sector has the right to discriminate in certain cases. That is not what happened. What happened was there was a very narrow ruling that because of the specifics of Philadelphia's contract, the court said that this couldn't be applied neutrally. Does that sum it up? It does. And so what we have here is, stepping back for a second, we have a situation where opponents of LGBTQ equality have been trying to get the court to rule that the free exercise clause in the Constitution gives them a constitutional right to discriminate, to violate non-discrimination rules. And they didn't get that ruling in Fulton today. And four years ago, they tried to get the same ruling um, from the U.S. Supreme Court in a case called Masterpiece Cake Shop. Uh, There was about a bakery that refused to sell a a cake to a same-sex couple for their wedding. And the bakery, quote, won that case, but it won it on similarly narrow grounds. That is, there were specific things that the state of Colorado did in that case that meant that the bakery won and the same-sex couple lost. Just as here, there's specific terms of the contract from Philadelphia that means that the Catholic Social Services wins and the, the city loses. But big picture, in neither case has the Supreme Court agreed that there is a constitutional right to discriminate. And that is, in essence, a victory for LGBTQ people and for everybody who is protected by non-discrimination laws in our country. The decision was unanimous. Why is it that the liberal justices ruled with the conservative justices in this case? So good question. The super conservative justices um, wrote opinions saying that they would have gone much further um, and they would have completely uh, changed the way that the Supreme Court's uh, doctrine and jurisprudence works around claims of free exercise of religion. And the majority, including the three liberal justices, said there's no need to go that far because Philadelphia wasn't treating all uh, foster care agencies the same because of this discretionary exemption policy that it had. And so the chief justice um, and the um, liberals and some of the others say, in the majority opinion, say, that's as far as we need to go. And in the process, they also recognize that government, like a state or a city, has a weighty interest in eradicating discrimination, including discrimination based on sexual orientation. And so that's an important uh, outcome from the Fulton decision today, that the court is saying, uh, you know, non-discrimination rules are are important and states have uh, compelling interests in eradicating discrimination. And so that allows them a certain amount of leeway. Hmm. I'm curious, does this decision and in particular the way that the non-majority opinion was laid out, tell us anything about the court's trajectory on cases where there is this tension between the First Amendment on one side and the free exercise clause and then civil rights on the other? I think that's a very good question, and I don't think there are a lot of tea leaves here. But to back up your right that there's like this case, Filton, 
and the masterpiece case that I mentioned a minute ago, which was also an ACLU case, are just two in a long string of cases that have been litigated in the lower courts, and some of which are waiting, pending possible review by the Supreme Court. And they're a series of cases where, again, opponents of LGBTQ equality want to establish this constitutional right to discriminate, and they arise in a range of different contexts. So the Masterpiece case was uh, in the context of a business open to the public, and could the non-discrimination rule that Colorado in that case applied to that business, uh, could that be applied or was there a right to discriminate there? And the court didn't answer that question. This has arisen in the context of employment. So you may remember Amy Stevens' case from a year ago. The issue that went to the U.S. Supreme Court was the question of whether the ban in federal civil rights law on sex discrimination by employers, whether that covered LGBTQ people, and the court said, yes, it did. Now, in the lower courts, there was also a question about whether, assuming for the moment that anti-transgender discrimination was unlawful, the funeral home, which was Amy's employer in that case, the funeral home argued to the the trial court and to the federal appeals court that it had a right under a federal statute called RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It argued that it had a right to discriminate in violation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, And they said, like, even if anti-trans discrimination is unlawful under federal law, we have a right to do it anyway because of our religious beliefs. Now, the federal appeals court said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. RIFRA does not give you that right. The Supreme Court didn't take that up. But uh, it may well be that uh, there additional cases um, in the employment context arise and present that question, and, and it could be that the court would take that up in a future case. So we've got you know, these religious exemption cases showing up in Fulton in the government services context, in Masterpiece in the business context, in Amy Stevens' case in the employment context, they've also shown up in the healthcare context. So there are cases where, for example, Catholic hospitals have said, we provide healthcare, we provide various different services like hysterectomies to people, but we don't do those for trans people um, because we have a religious objection to trans people. Um, and uh, there's a question of like, okay, that you know, it, it seems pretty clear to us that that violates um, the non-discrimination rules that apply to hospitals. Um, hospitals are not supposed to discriminate based on sex, and that includes anti-trans discrimination. Uh, but the hospitals are raising a claim saying, hey, we have a religious reason to discriminate, and so that religious reason should allow us to violate the civil rights law with impunity. Our position in all those cases is no, it doesn't. Um, just as your religious belief that you need to discriminate based on race or based on disability wouldn't authorize discrimination. There's no reason that the rules should be any different when what we're talking about is LGBTQ people. So in light of this decision, uh, such a narrow ruling, and also Masterpiece, which was also a narrow ruling, what is our assessment of where things stand on that tension? Well, so it's a combination of being, you know, buoyed to a certain degree by the fact that, you know, the other side didn't get what it wanted now for the second time. Um, now, neither Masterpiece nor Fulton is a decision that we can totally embrace and say, hey, we, our side won because our side didn't win. Our side technically lost. But um, again, the other side didn't get what it wanted. I think the future holds, um, unfortunately, more religious exemption cases in you know one of these other contexts that we've talked about getting to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
because our opponents will keep asking the, the court to take the issue. And the, you know, there's certainly a number of votes on the court to create that constitutional right to discriminate. Um, right, so far, there have not been five. Um, given the cases that have come up there. And I think we're going to see. I mean, it's possible that um, the cases continue to come out in a way where the court just looks and tries to write that broader decision, and then they just they can't do it. They can't quite get five votes um, to say that the, the Constitution licenses discrimination in these contexts. I hope that's how it comes out. I'm not sure that that's how it's going to come out, because if you step back and look at the trend lines on the court around religion, this court is in the process of sort of uh, re-examining its constitutional doctrine around the freedom of religion. And some of that is you know, likely to happen in this context around religious exemptions, uh, because that's where a bunch of the conflict is in the culture. And I am worried about where this goes long term at the same time that I am heartened that um, in this case, they didn't, they didn't do the bad thing, yet they decided the case on narrow grounds in a way that will have application to few, if any, other situations. At least since I've started at the ACLU, that, which is in 2010, that the bulk of wins that the LGBTQ community has gotten at the Supreme Court outweigh the losses. Like I'm just thinking of Windsor, Obergefell, Amy Stevens, and then now these narrow losses. Even though we are afraid of what's to come in the realm of religious refusals, is it important to also take stock of the wins over the years and that trend? Absolutely. I mean, I think the series of wins that we have secured from the U.S. Supreme Court, as you mentioned, Windsor and Obergefell and the um, the Bostock decision that included Amy Stevens's case, those are transformational um, rulings um, in terms of the law. And, and they, what they reflect is how much the country has learned about LGBTQ people and how much the country has come to see the common humanity of same-sex couples. And increasingly, although this is a journey that we are still you know, at the beginning of, of, of transgender and, non, and gender non-binary people, that's a reflection of some good progress here. I am enormously heartened by that, both the, the actual change in the culture and the change in the law. The religious exemptions issue, I see as the biggest threat to LGBTQ equality going forward, because it is what I, I, I've talked about it this way in the past, that religious exemptions are the other side's plan B when their plan A failed. Their plan A was to stop us from getting equality rules that apply to us, stop us from getting the freedom to marry, stop us from getting non-discrimination laws that apply to us, stop us from getting rid of the bans on adoption and foster parenting by uh, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, for example. And as we have gotten... And it was becoming clear that plan A wasn't working. Plan A wasn't working. And so then they're like, okay, if we have to live in a world that includes LGBTQ non-discrimination rules, well, we need some way to say that, you know, to carve out some space where those rules don't really affect us. They don't apply to us. And religious exemptions are that tool. And so to the extent that um, the court says that the Constitution requires these exemptions, that's a constitutional rule that will override every single LGBTQ non-discrimination statute, whether it's at the federal level or the state level or the city level. And there's no way to change that. You can't go to Congress and say, hey, you know, let's let, let write a statute that changes that because it's the Constitution. Only the court can change that. So this is potentially momentous, long-lasting 
incredibly uh, harmful damage to LGBT equality that will, could be with us for a generation. And what's even scarier than that is that it's not just non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people that are potentially at risk here. Because the same ruling that says that um, uh, religious folks, um, uh, if they have a, a religious reason to want to discriminate, they can discriminate against LGBTQ people. There's no reason that that doesn't also mean they can discriminate based on disability. They can discriminate based on race. They can discriminate based on sex. And in fact, what's frustrating here as we sort of, you know, see a, a possible bad landscape developing, although again, it, it hasn't you know, developed yet at the Supreme Court level, is that the LGBTQ context is not the first time in which um, opponents of equality have sought a constitutional license to discriminate. It's happened in the race context. It's happened in the sex context. And both legislatures and courts have said no to those claims when they have been presented. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the 80s and 90s, there were a series of religiously affiliated schools that were paying women less than men for doing precisely the same job. And when they got sued for sex discrimination, they responded, yes, we are paying women less and we have a religious reason for doing that because we believe that men are heads of household and they have certain obligations to their family and women don't. And so we'll let the women work, but we are not gonna pay them the same amount of money because that violates our religious views. And the courts said, that is not a defense to a claim of sex discrimination. And it may be your firmly held, deeply held religious belief, but that does not override the non-discrimination law. I also want to talk about the arguments themselves. Catholic Social Services, the plaintiff in this case, asked the court to reconsider a precedent in this 1990 case, Employment Division versus Smith. Can you describe what that precedent said and where it stands now? So Employment Division versus Smith, the question here is, in what context is the court going to um, say that the government rules um, that infringe in some way on individuals' religious beliefs have to be tested and, and have to sort of have a, a, a serious justification? And what the court said in um, Employment Division versus Smith was, look, the government does lots of things and regulates all of us in lots of different ways. And some of those regulations are going to have some effect on people's religious beliefs. The case, uh, Employment Division versus Smith, was about somebody who was, um, uh, I think, fired from a job for using peyote, hallucinogenic uh, substance. And the person said, well, that's part of my religious observance. And so penalizing me and telling me I can't get unemployment insurance uh, benefits because I used uh, this uh, substance as part of my religious exercise, that violates my religious beliefs. And the Supreme Court said, no, hold on. This law was a law that is neutral as to religion. It's not aimed at religion, and it's generally applicable. It applies to everybody. And so maybe it has an impact on people's religious exercise, but if it applies to everybody and wasn't aimed at religion, the government basically gets a pass. Um, uh, the government doesn't have to provide much of a reason. It has to have a rational basis for deciding that it wants to um, say, you know, if you use an illicit substance, you don't get unemployment benefits, which is what the case was about. And before that case, the court would look more deeply into what the circumstances here, what's the government's justification. And so that decision, Employment Division versus Smith, was written by that great radical Justice Antonin Scalia. 
Um, and so he was no lefty, right? A conservative justice. A very conservative uh, justice who said, our society can't function if everybody is a universe unto themselves based on their own religious beliefs and the government, you know, government rules don't apply here, don't apply there because people have a religious, you know, reason for not complying with those rules based on their own particular beliefs. And so but what we, what we have now is um, a different set of conservative uh, justices, differently conservative, who are interested in overturning that rule because it is a barrier to religious free exercise claims. Because as long as the government rule is neutral as to religion and generally applicable, then basically the government wins. So can you explain what happens here? Like, will the city of Philadelphia basically just redraft their contract so that it does follow these neutral and generally applicable standards, and then they will get to enforce it with Catholic social services? Like, is that what we expect? Or are we concerned that in the city of Philadelphia, that this is going to have harmful effects for foster children who are looking for homes? I think that your first option is what I think is going to happen. I think that the majority opinion leaves open the option for the city of Philadelphia to say, you know what, our contract was sloppy. Very sorry about that. We're going to redraft it. And there's no, just, we're just going to take out this discretionary exception thing. And they'll just say no discrimination is, is allowed. And I think that under the majority opinion, they can do that. It could be that that is greeted by more litigation by Catholic social services saying, hey, no, you can't change the rules and you're doing this just because you don't like religion. I don't think that that's going to work. But I think that the majority opinion gives the city that option. And in fact, one of the dissents says as much, says all the city has to do is redraft the contract and CSS is once again out of luck. And I think that's right. So today was a narrow loss. I'm curious, from your perspective, how do we keep moving the needle forward on this issue? Are there things that we can do on a smaller scale in our own communities, or are there things happening in Congress that we should be aware of that we could throw support towards? So two things. One is there is legislation pending in Congress called the Equality Act that would build on last year's win for LGBTQ equality in the Bostock versus Clayton County case by making clear in federal civil rights law that LGBTQ people are protected from discrimination. And we already have that based on the Bostock opinion in multiple contexts, but there are some contexts in civil rights, federal civil rights law that Bostock doesn't apply to because Bostock applies only to places where there's already a ban on sex discrimination. And Bostock just says, well, wherever the federal civil rights law says you can't discriminate based on sex, that covers LGBTQ people as well. But there are some places, notably the ban on public accommodations discrimination and the ban on discrimination by um, uh, entities that receive federal funding that don't bar sex discrimination. Right now, and that's a glaring gap in civil rights law that should be fixed regardless of the LGBTQ issue, but should also be fixed, you know, in order to ensure that LGBTQ people have civil rights protections in those contexts as well. So the Equality Act would do that, would fill those gaps for LGBTQ people and for all women and men, and it would do some other things uh, to sort of update federal civil rights law for everybody. So that's one thing that we should be pushing for and connecting it to the religious exemptions issue. One of the political challenges for us as we try to find support in the Senate, because this bill, the Equality Act, has passed the House. And so, as with so many things that are important in our society today, it's all about, well, can we get 60 votes in the Senate? 
one of the core issues is a question about the scope of religious exemptions that Congress might write in. And there's no expansion of religious exemptions in the bill that passed the House. And there's no question that there will be proposals to add broader religious exemptions in the Senate as the case goes forward. And I think that we should resist them. So to sum up, it's a bit of a quagmire, but it's not the worst case scenario. And for today, for right now, that's not the worst thing. Yes. I mean, so the best result would have been um, a win. Right. The decision that we got is absolutely the next best result. It is the best kind of loss we could possibly have had because it is so narrow and so fact-specific and has such limited, if any, spillover effect to any other context. It's a place where the court just refused to give the anti-equality folks the stuff that they wanted. And that is a win for LGBTQ equality and for civil rights more broadly. Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for explaining all of this, which it just all makes a lot more sense now. So appreciate you as always. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Art Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We always appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.